Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Well, it's certainly good to be with you. I I am honored to be here. Uh, I see the watch up here. Uh, Don't worry, I don't pay attention to them. Uh, The first crowd laughed at that a little more than y'all did. I don't know. Uh, This may be a tougher bunch to deal with. I don't know. Yeah, uh, no, I'm truly I'm privileged to be here with you. I uh, thank my son for inviting me to come and to bring the message this morning. I'm retired. I don't get to preach as much as I used to. I do get a few chances here and there. So I'm a little rusty, but uh, it's always a joy and a delight to get up and bring a message from God's Word to God's people. And I do hope that uh, the message we bring to you today will give you some encouragement, but most of all will inspire in you and deepen the appreciation you have of the hope God has given to us. I didn't say anything this morning to the early crowd, and I apologize for that, but uh, I just want to commend your decoration committee, whoever that is, uh, for the displays. Uh, I mean, it's really Christmassy, and I think that's that's so important in this season of Christmas to be reminded, especially with the manger scene, uh, of what it's all about. And for your your choir, your your group, your music group, the ones that lead us in the singing, and then the choir that comes and does the special, they are really good, and I, I deeply appreciate that. Uh, one couple sitting in the back uh, said that uh, they were still here as the beginning second service began, and I said, "Oh man, this is great. They're going to stay." I mean, they heard the sermon in the first service; they must have really liked it. They, they're going to stay, but then they sang in the choir and they left. <laughs> I don't blame them for that. You know, if I could leave, I might do that too, but I didn't know. Uh, and I, I was telling several people I was talking to uh, this morning that this is, I mean, I've preached since 1975, I've been preaching. Well, actually, since 1970, I've been preaching, pastoring since 1975. Uh, this is the first time ever I've preached two Sunday morning services. Yeah, uh, we never needed it in George West. I, I tried at one point to get that, and the deacon shot it down. You know, those deacons, man. Oh, oh y'all are fixing to ordain something. Maybe I better not say that. But uh, uh, we never did get it. And uh, uh, the church was full every Sunday morning. We could have easily had two services, but uh, we never did. So I'm excited. I uh, hope I can last through it. I told somebody if I start to nod off, shout glory, and I'll, I'll wake up and continue the message. But we're in the Gospel of Matthew this morning, starting with chapter 1, verse 18. <laughs> I trust you brought your Bibles with you or your iPad or your phone. Uh, You know, it used to just say open your Bibles. Now it's if they open your Bibles, turn on your iPads and your phones and uh, turn to that text. Uh, I'm reading from the New International Version. If you're reading from, my son's called that the non-inspired version. Shame on him. Yeah, we have these little things sometimes between each other. I picked up the NIV in seminary in 1973, I believe. My Hebrew teacher was 
on the translation committee for the New International Version. Uh, it came out, uh, the New Testament, while I was in seminary, the whole Bible came out a little bit later, and they've revised it, updated it a couple of times since then. But uh, it's, I've preached on it, uh, out of it uh, all these years. I really do love it. It's not, uh, sometimes I have to correct their translations, but uh, it's basically a great Bible. So that's what I'm reading from. If you're reading for something different, that's okay. Uh, I don't think they'll vary too much, but I'll invite you to stand with me as we read God's Word. It should be on the screen, maybe, I don't know if it'll make it this time. <coughs> Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18, the birth of Jesus Christ. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about, Matthew writes. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public shame, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And that's twice Joseph and the angel said that. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. You know, uh, thank you. You may be seated. Uh, Joel Gregory says there are over 300. I think he said 360. I don't know, but surely over 300 names for Jesus in the Bible, some very familiar names, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Word uh, who was with God and was God in the beginning and so on, but there's no name quite so special as the name Emmanuel. Nobody ever called him Emmanuel that we know of in the Bible. Jesus never referred to himself as Emmanuel, but the prophet said that this special child born from the virgin would be called by people, Emmanuel, which means God with us. You know, this is a great time of year. Stories. We all love stories, right? Y'all love good stories. Uh, <clears throat> you probably read some, maybe uh, watch TV at least. Uh, some of you like sci-fi. My grandkids love the sci-fi stuff, you know, uh, the Mandalorian and things like that. And I watched some of that with them uh, when my boys were small, star Star Wars, of course, when I was a kid, Star Trek. Uh, so sci-fi, I kind of like sci-fi stuff. I read, used to read some books, sci-fi books when I was younger. Uh, uh, then there's romance novels. Uh, every now and then, my wife and I like to sit down and watch a good Hallmark movie. This is the time of year to do that, Christmas time, a lot of good romance movies, you know, kissing under the mistletoe and stuff like that. It's good. It's good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It reminds us of what marriage is supposed to be about. Kissing under the mistletoe, I guess. I don't know. Uh, 
You know, others like mystery movies. Uh, do you like a good mystery? I love great mystery movies, police shows, lawyer shows, stuff like that. Uh, my favorite, of course, are westerns. Uh, you know, John, I'm an old John Wayne fan. I think I've seen almost every John Wayne movie made. I still watch John Wayne movies. If the Alamo comes on, I'll watch that. Uh, I've watched Rio Bravo and some of those movies probably 10, 15, 20 times over the years. I just, I love John Wayne movies, okay? I can't help myself. I'm an addict, I confess. <laughs> I like other Westerns, too, you know. Uh, 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 well, I forgot his name. <laughs> what did I say in the first service? Clint yeah, Clint Eastwood. Yeah, oh, Clint Eastwood, man. You know, the, uh, yeah, he made some good cop shows, too. Make my day, punk. <laughs> yeah, you remember that? Yeah, but he makes... He, some of his westerns are great. That guy that wears that hat and that vest over him, and he smokes those little cigars. I mean, he keeps that in his mouth forever. I don't know how he does that. Uh, but, uh, you know, Hang Em High and Unforgiven. Boy, that was a dramatic, tense western. That was great. Uh, Robert Duvall, uh, you know, he's, he's a great cowboy. Boy, if you look at him, you think, man, that's what I want to grow up to be, <laughs> a cowboy like that. But at Christmas time, the greatest story, the best story ever, really, is the Christmas story. Well, we get that to a couple of places in the New Testament. Matthew tells us an abbreviated version. Luke tells us a fuller version. And most of the time, we like to go to Luke and read those stories. But uh, this morning, we're going to be in Matthew. Uh, just because it's abbreviated, but I think the theme for this Advent service is hope. And this story, though the word is never used, by the way, you probably noticed that. And you're thinking, where, how's he going to get hope out of that? Well, I'm a Baptist preacher. I can make things happen, you know, out of any text of Scripture, right? <clears throat> but it is about hope. It doesn't use the word hope, but it's there if you read carefully and you think about it thoughtfully. Hope. Now, put yourself in Matthew's place as he tells a story. Uh, I mean, in Joseph's place, as Matthew tells the story. Here's Joseph. I imagine Joseph went to bed that night. He thought, man, this is great. I'm going to be married soon. Well, he was already married. In, in that custom, that world they lived in, uh, marriage, you were betrothed. That, that made you married, okay? You didn't live together for a year, but you were married. So anything that happened between the time of your betrothal and actually the wife moving into the husband's house, uh, anything that happened in that was, uh, you know, grounds for divorce if it was bad. And so he went to bed that night just excited about the, the, the thinking about the future, uh, a normal life, a normal wife with normal kids, you know, uh, that everybody dreams about that. And that was what he, Joseph was dreaming about. But when he got up the next day, guess what? Word came to him that things weren't normal. In fact, they were totally out of character because Mary was found to be with child. And Joseph knew he was a righteous man, remember the scripture says. So, you know, there was no hanky-panky between Joseph and Mary. Uh, Joseph knew that if she was with child, it wasn't his child. And in that day and time, it, you just, you didn't raise someone else's child. This wasn't done. Well, what's he going to do with Mary? I mean, he obviously, I think, even though it was probably an arranged marriage, I think Joseph had strong feelings for her, and she probably for him. I think they loved each other, uh, not as much as they would in 10 or 15 years, 20 years, but certainly they cared for each other. So what was he going to do? Well, they wanted to put her away quietly. He didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He just shows his heart for Mary. 
And he, he's thinking about that, and he decides that's, he's decided, the text indicates that he's decided that's what he's going to do. So probably all the next day after he got that word, that's what was in his mind. That night he goes to bed with that on his mind. Must have been a restless night, but he has a dream that night. And in that dream, an angel of the Lord comes to him, and he says, Joseph. Joseph's going, oh, my. <laughs> you know, oh, my. Uh, it's a dream, though. Remember, it's a dream. And he says, you're to not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Okay, wait a minute. Don't, don't be afraid to take Mary as my wife. Yeah, that kind of violated all the customs and traditions of the day. He says, she's, she's, she's with child. What about the child? He says, well, I've got good news for you there. I'm kind of paraphrasing that angel, okay? He says, the good news is this. That child is conceived of the Holy Spirit. Now, I imagine at that point, Joseph's mind just goes, you know, He's going, what? He said, that child is conceived of the Holy Spirit. Okay, never heard of that before. Is that in the scripture anywhere? I don't think so. God's never done this. What's going on? He said, yeah, it's, it's a special birth, Joseph, and you get to be a part of it. He says, here's another thing. You don't get to name the child. That was the custom. You remember Zachariah had that issue. Uh, everybody wanted to name that child Zachariah Jr. And uh, the, the, he said, no, name him John. Uh, that was by God's command. Well, no, Joseph, you don't get to name the child. God's got a name for that child. He's going to call that child Jesus. That's the name. Joseph's probably going, okay, I, I can live with that, but I wonder why he wants to name him Jesus. Well, if you know what the word Jesus means in the, in the Hebrew, is God saves or God is salvation. It's the same as Joshua in the Old Testament. Wow. Joseph says, well, okay, but explain that to me. And the angel says, well, Jesus is going to save his people from their sins. Oh, I get it, sort of. Okay. And then I, I, I like to think the angel went ahead and told Joseph about the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7. I don't know that he did, but I like to think that he did. And that's how it was related to Matthew, and Matthew put it in there. You see, Joseph, there's a prophecy over in Isaiah chapter 7. And it goes like it's in the time of King Ahaz, troubled times, and God offered Ahaz a, 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 a sign, and Ahaz refused the sign. Ahaz was a bad man. Uh, and he put on the front of being pious, but he really wasn't. And he refused a sign, and I just said, well, God's going to give you a sign anyway. And when he said that, he was not talking to Ahaz. He was talking to all the people of Israel. And the sign is this. A virgin shall conceive, bear a son, and, you shall call, and he will be called Emmanuel, which is God with us. Matthew put that in there to connect God with us, Emmanuel, with Jesus, who will save his people from their sins. Now, you've got to bring that together and go back then in the Scripture to understand why there's hope in this text. From the very beginning, God has always been Emmanuel. He didn't become Emmanuel when Jesus was born. He's always been Emmanuel, God with us. He was with Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, he gave them the first gospel promise. You remember that? The seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent, Genesis 3.15. That was the first gospel promise. That was the first gift of hope God gave to sinners fallen from their fellowship with God in the garden. First word of hope in the Bible right there. Well, 
after that, it was just God with his people in various ways. He was, he was with Noah and his family. He shut them in the ark before the flood came, you know. He, he was with uh, uh, Joshua. You remember Joshua uh, was out one day, and there was somebody standing there, a soldier. and He, uh, he said, who are you? And he said, I'm the commander of the, Lord, uh, the host of the Lord. And uh, take off your shoes, it's holy ground. Joshua, you know, right there, God was with them as they walked around Jericho and all through their conquest of the promised land. Well, God was with Daniel's three friends in the fiery furnace. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar had them thrown in because they wouldn't bow to Baal, I mean, to the idol. And uh, he looked in there, and instead of three, there were four. He said, one like a son of man. God's always been with his people. David gave testimony. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I mean, all the way through, and in the promises of the prophets, God was there always with his people, always promising his people that he would be in their lives in a special way. Jeremiah chapter 23, God said this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will rise up to David, a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. That's just another one of those Old Testament promises is that God is going to be with us and he's going to save us from our sins. And then it happened in the time of Joseph and Mary, a poor couple, but nonetheless God's couple for this special moment in history. God with us. But when God, when the angel gave Joseph that promise and referred to that scripture, God with us, the, engage, the rules of engagement had changed. God was no longer going to just be with his people at special times and special places. God was going to be in their midst now, clothed in human flesh. Wish we had time to go into that. There's a lot of that in this story. I'll leave that to your pastor to bring all that out sometime when he wants to. But uh, listen, uh, yeah, he can, he can handle it better than I can. Uh, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, God with us in human flesh. Listen, think about that. God with us in human flesh. The untouchable God suddenly becomes touchable. The high and lofty one, Isaiah says, lifted up dwells in the heavens, but also with those who are lowly in heart. The untouchable God became touchable in this babe. The independent God who controlled the universe, created the universe, fashioned the universe, and all that's in the universe, that God became dependent as a baby. It's an amazing truth. God with us in human flesh. No wonder Joseph, I think, was probably shell-shocked through it all. great thing is Joseph believed it. I don't know whether he fully understood it, but he certainly believed it. He acted upon it, did exactly what the angel told him. Jesus, who will save his people from their sins. There is the message of hope. When you think about that verse, I, I, for a long time, I thought, okay, Jesus will save us from our sins. Okay, I know what that's about. That's about the cross. Jesus is going to die on the cross. He's going to take my place. He's going to pay my penalty. He paid your penalty too. He died in your place as well. He lived the only perfect life for us. 
And he sacrificed that perfect life on the cross for us, paid the debt we owed God that we could never pay, freed us from our sins, guilt, so that Paul could later write in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, you remember that verse? There is therefore now no condemnation. Oh, man, let me say that again. That is such a great verse, one of my favorites. There is therefore. Now, back up with the therefore. He's gone through the whole cross thing. Therefore, no condemnation. Not almost no condemnation, but absolutely no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say a little more because what, what was impossible through human flesh, God did in sending his son. What we couldn't do by keeping the law, God sent Jesus into the world to do for us. He died in our place. You were redeemed not with the uh, futile things of silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb of God without spot or blemish, it says. But God demonstrated his love for us in this, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, it says. Peter says he, he bore our sins in his body. I want you to think about all your sins in the body. All the thoughts, the words, and the deeds. He bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sins and live to righteousness. Christ died for our sins, Peter says. The righteous for the unrighteous, that's you and me, that he might bring us to God. See, I understood that. I thought, man, how great that is. But when you think about it, there's a little more to that than just dying on the cross for my sins so that I know what it means to be forgiven. That's great. That's where it starts. And, and I, you know, it doesn't get a whole lot better than that, but there's a little bit more to it than that. God with us to forgive our sins, but also God with us to help us overcome the power of sin in our life. Scripture says pretty clearly in several places that sin no longer, because we are in Jesus, sin no longer has dominion over us. A lot of us struggle with sin still since we came to Jesus. That causes problems for some Christians because they think they shouldn't want to sin anymore. They, they should somehow not care about those things, but you, you still do. You still get angry. You still think bad things about people. You still say some bad things to people. I thought bad all night last night in the LSU. <laughs> if you don't know it, I'm an Aggie. Yeah, I afflicted that on my sons. Yeah, I started pulling my diamond out of my ring and t told my son I'm going to take my ring and hock it. <laughs> I was so disappointed last night, and I was thinking evil thoughts, evil, evil thoughts. Fortunately, all my sins are forgiven and covered in the blood. But God is with me in that. You know, he helps us. He's here to help us. The Spirit, it says, helps us in our weakness. We don't know how, even how to pray, much less live for God, but the Spirit's there to help us, Paul says in Romans 8. Uh, you know, he, he works with us. It's called sanctification. It's progressive. It takes a whole lifetime before we reach glory, but he's always working us. Paul said in the opening chapter of Philippians, I'm, I'm persuaded, I'm, I'll get it right. I am persuaded that he who began a good work in you way back then as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult, maybe 
in your older years of your life, but God began a good work to you, a work of grace, a work of salvation. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, most people take that to mean, well, once saved, always saved. I can't lose my salvation. That does mean that, I think. But it's more that God's carried on to completion the work he began. The work he began was to conform you to the image of Christ, to make you like Jesus. More and more, he's doing that in your life every day. Paul would later say, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. Why? Because it is God who works in you. Hear that. God is at work in you. Do I know he's working in me? Not always. I don't think about it sometimes, but God is always at work in me to will and to act according to his good pleasure. That is to make me like Jesus. John says it this way. We don't know what Jesus is going to be like when he comes, but when we see him, we'll know him. And when we see him, we'll be like him. I'm, I'm paraphrasing 1 John chapter 3. When we see him, we'll be like him. And then John says, everyone who has this hope, there's that word, hope. The hope of Jesus is coming. Purifies himself. He's working. I'm working to be better, to be more like Jesus. You see, God with us in the forgiveness of our sins, that's important, but it doesn't stop there. It keeps on throughout our life on this earth as we walk by faith in fellowship with Jesus to make us holy. But that's not the last word. The last word is what John just said. We don't know what he's going to be like, but we know when he comes, we'll see him as he is and we'll be like him. You see, he is coming again. Uh, Paul refers to that as the blessed hope in the book of Titus, the blessed hope. In Romans chapter 5, Chris read it earlier, we rejoice in what? In the hope of glory. Romans 8, he says, I'm persuaded that there's nothing in this life so terrible, so, uh, so painful, so miserable, that it'll outweigh the glory that's coming when Jesus comes back and God raises our bodies from the earth to be with him forever in glory. Colossians, remember, Paul writes that Christ in you, you know, you know Christ is in you, right? You understand that. If you don't, you need to get a grip on that. Christ in you. Well, Christ in you is a lot of things. But in Colossians, for Paul, it was this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Because Christ is in you, you have this hope of glory. And what will that glory be? Well, it'll certainly be resurrection, no doubt about that. What a glorious day that will be. Will be uh, the mortal will put on immortality, as Paul says in Corinthians letter. But there's so much more to that. The day is coming when we'll have a new heaven and a new earth. That's glory. And listen to what it says in the Revelation. John writes, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Think about that. A new heaven and a new earth. Very much like the present heaven and earth, but without sin, without, without any defects in it with no despair, a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. 
and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's the hope. And when that angel spoke to Joseph and he said, you'll call him Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. He was saying, Jesus will save you from the penalty of your sins. Jesus will save you from the power of your sins. He will save you one day from the presence of sin. Now that's a glorious thing, is it not? Amen? Now, I'm not sure Joseph knew all that at the moment. But certainly since then, we've had plenty of time to reflect on it. The hope of glory. Let me share two stories with you and I'll close. One story is by Dan Ballman. You know, preachers have to be careful. Sometimes these stories we read about, uh, you have to verify. I I had a story I was going to use today and I looked it up and I, I couldn't find even a mention of it anywhere. I mean, I looked at a lot of research. You Google, you you know, you you Google something, you get ten million things. You you look. I looked through them all. Well, I didn't look through them all, but I looked through the first ten or fifteen of them, and it wasn't true. I mean, it's just it was a great story, man. I wish I could use it, but it just wasn't true. But this is a true story. I looked this up. This this happened. Dare to believe is the name of the book. It was written uh, a couple of decades ago by a man named Dan Ballman, a dynamic Christian, does a lot of good work in the Lord's ministry. He talks about what it's like to know something is yours even though you have to wait for it. Now, that's a good definition of hope. I know something is mine. Remember the promise in the garden? The, the, The Jewish people all across the centuries knew they had hope. There was something that was theirs. Messiah was to come and set them free. Isaiah said he would be Emmanuel, God with us. The angel told Joseph that his name would be Jesus, this Emmanuel, and he would save his people from their sins. They knew they had something, they just didn't have possession of it. They had to wait for it. Well, so Bauman talks about that. You may even have it in your hand, though it's not out of the box. Okay, here it comes. When he was a young man, he always liked to go in and snoop around the Christmas tree, find the presents that were his. He would shake them and try to figure out what they were. Now, obviously, nobody here has ever done that. (laughs) Yeah. Your pastor's done that. I I could tell some stories, but I'll spare him. (laughs) i spare his mother. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Anyway, so one time, Dan went in under the tree Man, there was a large package there, had his name on it. He knew exactly what it was. It was a set of golf clubs. He'd been wanting a set of golf clubs. So he shook the package. Sure enough, there was that sound of clubs inside shaking around. Oh, man, he was happy. Oh, he was ecstatic. He wanted to rip it open, but he couldn't. You know, you can't do that before Christmas. But he held that package. He rattled the clubs. He pretended in his mind he was... He was, had those clubs out, and they were in the bag, and he was out on the golf course. And, man, he was swinging away, and that ball was flying true and straight. 
man, one shot, he was on the green. One putt, he eagled every hole. You know, I mean, how golfers are. Yeah. Foolishness. But he, he was enjoying the golf clubs. They were still in the box. That's what hope is. It's a picture of what's coming to us. John writes about it in the Revelation. We're enjoying it now. Paul says we rejoice. We rejoice in the hope of glory. Whoa. You think about that hope, you can get excited. What's it going to be like? I don't know. But I know it's going to be beyond my, imagine, uh, my ability to imagine what it's like. Christmas means Christ has given us the hope of heaven. It's still wrapped right now. My sins are forgiven. I know that. Jesus is in me right now, working me towards holiness. And my future awaits me. I understand that. But the package, ha and the package has my name on it. It's mine. It's yours. It awaits us. And we want it really bad. And in a world like we live in now, you really need it really bad. One other story about our hope. It's kind of a sad story, and yet it's a good story. You may have heard it before. It's called The Fork, F-O-R-K. A lady had been to her doctor. They'd done all the tests. They had done everything modern medicine could do. And the doctor sat her down and told her that there was nothing more that they could do. She had a few months left, three or four, perhaps, maybe not that long, maybe a few more, but the end was in sight. She needed to start making preparations. It's always good to make preparations if you can. So she started doing that. You know, she wrote out her will and all that stuff, advised her family. You know, they were making arrangements for the hospice care and things like that. But she, one thing she, she needed to do, she, she finally got around to, she called her pastor and said, Pastor, I need you to come visit with me. It's about my funeral service. Well, the pastor went over there. Pastors don't like to do those kinds of things, but you, it's part of the job. And he went over there. And of course, he tried to be positive and upbeat, but, you know, it, it didn't work with this woman. She said, no, I know I'm going to die, and I want to tell you how I want my funeral done. So she went through him with order service, you know, who was going to give eulogies, who was going to share a testimony, all the hymns that were going to be sung, positive, uplifting hymns about resurrection, about heaven and glory, uh, what scriptures were to be read and used. And I'm sure she used uh, uh, several that uh, are my favorites. And, and uh, she said, and there's one more thing, Pastor. When they put me in the casket, here's what I want. I want you to be sure that they have a fork in my right hand. Okay, a fork in your right hand. What's that about, you know? Pastor's wise question. She said, let me tell you, Pastor, I'm going to tell you, and then I want you to tell them what that fork means. She said, you know, every church fellowship and dinner I've ever been to, after we've eaten and visited a little bit, people come around, they take your plate and put it away, or we go put it in a trash can. But somebody always said to me, keep your fork, keep your fork. And what I learned, especially the Baptist Fellowship, this is true. What I learned was there's something better coming. <laughs> yeah, cakes, pies, desserts, cookies, whatever, you know. And we Baptists, we know how to do it right, I'll tell you. And when we get to heaven, you know, the Messianic banquet, somebody's going to say, keep your fork. <laughs> 
So she said, that's what it is. And said, when they, when they see that and they want to know what it's about, you tell them what I said because there's something better coming. Folks, there's something better coming. Now, here's what that means for us today. I close. It first means this. Your relationship to God is hope we have that the angel talked about. Jesus saving us from us. This means your relationship with God is secure. I mean, it is secure. There ain't nobody going to break in and steal it away. God's got the best security system in the universe, okay? Paul talks about Romans 8. Man, I love Romans 8. That's probably one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible. Go home and read it. But he ends that eighth chapter on the note of hope and glory and security. Paul comes down at the end of that chapter, and he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, nobody. He says, I'm persuaded that nothing, nothing, not maybe everything, most everything, but nothing, nothing in heaven and earth, not life, not death, not angels, not principalities, powers, nothing, not sin, nothing in all creation, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Your relationship with God is secure. Now, you need to take that to heart because you may be wrestling with that. Can God still love me even though I'm still doing some of these kinds of sins? Well, I want to be confident with you today and say absolutely assured God still loves you and nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Now, that's worth taking to the bank. But there's more. Not only that, but God's not going to leave you there. He's going to be moving you towards holiness. Remember, he's at work in you. He's at work in you. So Paul can later come around and say, I've learned to be content in whatever situation. You know how hard it is to be content? It's so hard to be content. Paul said, I've learned the secret. What is the secret to contentment? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13. Yeah, God's still working on me. God's still working on me. I don't remember. I'm not the way I ought to be. <laughs> Something like that. He made the moon. He made the stars. He also made some really good cars. <laughs> I don't remember that song. Y'all remember it's a kid's song. He's still working on me. Yeah. Don't quit God because God will never quit you. Finally, there's the hope of glory. One of these days, Jesus doesn't come back. We're going to all die. Our old bodies are going to turn to dust in the earth. But you know what? God that created the universe out of nothing is going to speak the word, and those bodies are going to rise. Incorruptible. Incorruptible. No longer subject to the powers of sin and death. And we're going to be with him throughout eternity. And I have no idea what that's going to be like, but I know it's not going to ever be dull or boring. Now, some of you may want to sit on clouds and strum harps, and you do that if you want to. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to find me a universe somewhere way out there, and I'm going to say, God, can I have that universe, and I want to go over there and explore that, because I'm pretty sure over there is going to be some great fishing. <laughs> well, there's a river of life, you know, so maybe there's some catfish in there, or redfish, or trout, or bass, or something. 
Now, my question this morning is close with this. Actually, there's two or three. Do you know for sure your sins are forgiven? What do you have to do for that preacher? Well, I suppose we could say it a lot of ways. I'll just use a verse out of Romans. Paul says you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And you have to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And if you confess and believe, then guess what? You shall be saved, he said. All you got to do is confess and believe. Come to Jesus today if you don't know the forgiveness of sin. If you're still wallowing under some guilt, get rid of it. God's got a future for you that's glorious. Yield to that. Follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Let him remake you into something new and glorious. Secondly, are you letting God work in you every day? Are you striving for holiness every day? It says in Hebrews, to strive for holiness without which without which no one will see God. So you, you need to be pressing ahead, as Paul says in Philippians 3. I'm, I'm forgetting what's behind and pressing on for the glorious, for the pri- win the prize for the glorious call uh, God to me uh, heavenward. Are you doing that? Because you're not experiencing God in, in the fullness he wants you to experience him if you're not. And third, third thing is, some of us are old enough to really appreciate this one. Are you looking forward to that hope? Are you thinking about that hope? Are you rejoicing in that hope of glory? Because for some of us, it's just around the corner. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, where are you today? Do you need need to make a decision? I've been neglectful of the glory. I need to start thinking about the glory, the joys of heaven, being in God's presence for eternity. You need to be, be committed to pursuing holiness in your daily life. Maybe you need to come to Jesus for the very first time and receive forgiveness of sin.